Welcome to The Little Guys. I'm Josh, and today I'm with Rob Taxpayer. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do? And yeah, hey, Josh. Yeah, yeah uh, so I am a, a, a musician, I'm a, uh, and uh, I like to build stuff. Um, and yeah, and I, I guess uh, I like to tell stories. So that's the stuff that I do mostly. Uh, I do a little bit of gardening too. I'm not very good at it, but I try to go, try to garden and um, grow stuff. But that is right. an ongoing learning process, like everything. I don't imagine anyone's good at gardening when they first start out. That's also been a Corona project in my household. My parents have started a garden. Really? Yeah, and we set up everything, and then a, then a freeze came in, and we were like, yeah. "Well, we don't have any blankets or anything to put out, so we have like a pool cover." pulled over our, our oh uh, yeah 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 to 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 try to uh, keep it from the frost huh we where, whereabouts are you what part of the country i'm in uh northwest metro atlanta so i'm just outside of the city oh okay okay um so yeah you guys do get some freezes occasionally yeah, on the occasion. but it's pretty warm for the most part um yeah i like atlanta a lot uh i think i was telling you when we were chatting before i played played a show at waller's coffee shop have you been there i think i might have uh, asked you that or no. have you heard of that place? I, I, is, I've heard of it, but I've never been. You know, D- Dakota from the band The Wild, he was the one that put it together, and it's a buddy of his who opened a coffee shop. It's actually, I think it's not in Atlanta proper. It is in, it's a little college town just to the south of Atlanta. I'm blanking out on the name Savannah? of it. Or is that too far? Uh, that's too far. It was like 15 minutes. Hold on, I can look it up real quick. Waller's Coffee Shop. Atlanta. Let's see. It is in Decatur. Decatur. Yeah, Decatur. So it's over in that part of right part of the thing. But yeah, I, I like Atlanta a lot. I've spent a little bit of time there, um, mostly on tour. The other place that I know from Atlanta is Littles. Have you ever been to Littles before? Uh, no. You told me to check it out. I'm waiting for it to be. Like George's oh, yeah, they're probably not open, not, huh? Well, we're we're yeah. partially open now. Um, yeah, but it's it's still not safe enough to go out, especially because Atlanta's like thirty minutes oh, yeah. from here. So I'm not gonna risk that. Yeah, Kemp. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a big fan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, there's a lot of those Kemp types right now. The Texas governor is kind of same thing. Um, the, the Florida governor. Florida governor. Yeah. Weirdly, um, we've got a strangely you know relatively well-functioning not government but governor here he's he's a in Louisiana it's it's very rare to have a a somewhat liberal governor he's a he's a Democrat he's a very conservative Democrat he's like a a southern Democrat um, yeah he's a southern Democrat he's a, a former cop and he's a you know he's a Catholic and so he's very very anti choice and all that kind of stuff but as far as like what what options we have uh the the inverse of him would have been would have been terrible and he's he's actually not been doing a terrible job with this whole thing he's been pretty strict about it and i kind of feel like if we back when we had the election we had this guy who was running against him who was a small business owner in baton rouge louisiana and this guy was Trump 2.0, and he was, yeah. he was a, uh, um, you know, I, I keep imagining what the pandemic would be like under this guy, who, um, 
you know, he ran a bunch. Of, he he ran a bunch of ads that were pretty openly just just straight up, you know, racist, yeah. transphobic. You know, he basically said, you know, as a uh, as a doctor, and he wasn't a doctor. He has a yeah. doctorate, but he has, you know, he was like, as a doctor, there's only two genders, and you can ask. You know, you can ask God, and this was the big uh, ad that he was running, and I, I saw it a million times because I was, um, I was in the hospital a lot when they were, the election was happening, and so he was just running this campaign ad over and over and over again, and it was a, it was a really scary time because we were like, this guy could be our governor. Yeah. This guy could be. We could have. We could have this guy and Trump at the same time, and <laughs> we'd be in pretty sorry shape. But well, you know, when the Tea uh, Party started you know, gaining power around like 2009, 2010. Yeah. Um, I was in like the fourth grade, so I had to yeah. go back and look it up recently, but there was, or there's yeah. articles that are like, guys, this is a phase. This isn't going to last very long. No one's going to listen to yeah. someone this angry yeah. and this loud, but I mean, we're here now. So I'm not well, sure. Well, they tapped into something. Yeah. They, I think they tapped into, um, well, you know, it's, it's all this, all this stuff. It's all just missed. Anger, uh, same place. It just comes from a place of inequality and not being heard. You know, you have all these people. A lot of the Tea Partiers who are now the the MAGA hat wearers. Yeah. Who a, a lot of them are folks that are in the same place economically as a lot of other disenfranchised folks. You know, these are people who have either lost their jobs or even if they're working several jobs, they're not able to, even uh, able to kind of stay on top of their bills and yeah. make rent. Uh, they've lost houses, you know, they're... And so when you have such gross inequality in this country, it's going to come out somehow and it comes out in that way for that demographic, probably largely because of the differences in... I don't know, education level, access to information, the type of information that people are accessing. And, um, you know, I I think the mistake that a lot of people made, though, was dismissing them. And a lot of people are still making that mistake with the the MAGA people, you know, in that it's like, okay, these are these are idiots. These are racist idiots. And, you know, whether that's true or not is kind of beside the point, because they're they've tapped into something that is nationwide phenomenon and this is the feeling of like the voiceless yeah you know it, feeling like you don't have a voice like you have no say in your country you have no way to um take care of your family to provide for your family you know and for them the person who was in charge at the time is barack obama and so of course he's the one to blame for it um you know and then they're becomes this disconnect between the haves and the have-nots, which has just been the story of our country since its yeah. founding. The same thing so. happened. Um, there's one theory for the Salem witch trials I really like, um, yeah. which is that it wasn't wealth inequality that started you know, people blaming people on being witches and stuff. It was yeah. all the constant war in Europe and and being you know, a no one in, in the middle yeah. of colonial America and being like, okay, we have to do something for some kind of semblance of control. So let's say sure. you're in Kentucky, which is the poor, like one of the poorest states in America, yeah. and you know, um, there's not much you can do about it. Well, obviously, it's not your fault. Um, it's somebody else's, and then someone comes and tells you, oh, it isn't your fault. It's the people of color. And you're like, okay, that, that works right now. Yeah. And then eventually you believe it, and then we're here. I think yeah. we misconstrue ignorance with intelligence a lot of times, and uh, it's a big thing. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this shit's not getting fixed anytime soon. Yeah. It's not. It's <laughs> not because, let, let me tell you, like, uh, even if this nation was able to elect someone like Bernie Sanders, I mean, all of the things, all of the remedies to the problems that we just named, I, you know, I, I sometimes I fail to see how you can, um, remedy a lot of them with such uh, dysfunctional legislative um, means. You know, you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's, it's entirely impossible to pass anything in Congress because it's just ground to a halt because of the utter partisanship with everything. So even if you had some ideas for how to fix it, um, it's just such a massive bureaucracy at this point. The country is just such a massive bureaucracy that how do you cut through that red tape? I don't know. I don't know how you do it. I, I, I kind of feel like the the only thing that can be done on a practical level at this point is uh, is local, is local based. And so I and and, and I want to be clear though, like I'm not advocating not being involved in electoral politics by any means. Like I I kind of feel like despite the hopelessness of it, it's like why why the hell not? Um, right. At least uh, you know put your two cents in, but. You know, realistically, the only people who are getting anything done are the people who have figured out how to utilize the system as it currently is. And that's rich people or, you know, people with connections, people with means, and the people who make a big difference for the light side, if there were a light side and a yeah. dark side. You know, these are people who are still the the haves of the system, the people who have gotten a you know, a decent education, who have a connection in different branches of society, who are able to kind of cut through the BS. And a lot of cases, the way that they're able to do that is by um, starting nonprofits, starting corporations that can uh, throw a bunch of money at a problem. You know, yeah. the, the, the person who makes the biggest difference in our country is, you know, someone like Bill Gates. And the only reason that Bill Gates is able to do anything is because he's one of the richest people Rich. in the world. Yeah. You know, he well, like, thankfully, he's he's help, trying to help us all out with all his money. And so that's <laughs> nice. But like, you know, what about the rest of us? So, yeah. well, that's yeah. um, this isn't my thought. I, I saw this in a video that I'm, I'm going to pair it. I can't remember where it's from, but like what to yeah. touch on what you said about voting locally, that's that's true because even if you're you're voting and you're voting every year every midterm you know or every term and the people you're wanting to go through aren't going through if enough yeah. people do it eventually politicians will change what they're saying and make actions towards the things that the bigger group wants to do yeah. because a lot of them don't want to change anything they want to keep their job oh yeah yeah and that's the importance yeah. of voting um you know on a, on a local level uh, you said it we, when you interviewed yeah. with Alec, but every time somebody runs unopposed, that's a problem. Yeah. Uh, and I agree. Um, but towards your new project, Anxiety Anxiety Cat, if you're willing to talk about it, um, is, yeah. uh, is that, like, is some of that, like, political frustration through it? Because I know you use, uh, like, coverage from the UN inside mm -hmm. some of the tracks. Right. Um, yeah, so the the project itself yeah it's it's very much the the one of the first overtly uh political <laughs> things that i've ever uh, written you know a lot of it is has touched upon that but um in this case 
to be honest with you, it was a lot of less local stuff. Um, honestly, yeah. the, the, the reason that I started working on that project was I was collecting information about different dictators around the world and how it is that they gathered power and how it is that um, countries got to the place that they were at. So um, the the in to be honest with you, I don't know that electoral politics will solve a lot of the problems of of dictators. Um, yeah. But knowing how it comes to be is kind of half the battle. First off, you need to know why the problem exists. You need to know, you know, how it came to be before you can fix it. And so, with Anxiety Cat, what I was doing is I was collecting speeches from political leaders and trying to. Uh, create songs around these speeches or these little um, bits and pieces of audio. So the first thing that I started working on with that was uh, something from Muammar Gaddafi's, one of his last speeches that he gave before he was overthrown in Libya. And to be honest with you, I started working on that song with a completely different idea about who Muammar Gaddafi was compared to how it ended by the time I was done with that song. So I listen to, I, I generally listen to a lot of radio, I listen to a lot of news, a lot of it is NPR, a lot of it is, yeah. um, you know, local community radio stations, and um, and I was telling myself that I was getting the balanced news, right? Right. Uh, and, and I still, to this day, I listen to a ton of that stuff, but because of that, I was given the idea that Muammar Gaddafi, here's this guy who's been in power since 1969, and it was 2011 when he got overthrown in Libya. And he, was, he wasn't president the entire time, but he was the leader by any other name. You know, you call yeah. it what you want to. He was, he's basically like Putin, you know. Putin, he's prime minister, he's president, he's, you know, whatever you want to call it, he's in charge. And so Gaddafi was in charge. I was under the impression from NPR, from the New York Times, from the Washington Post, all the stuff that I read, that... This guy's a dictator. Everybody hates him in Libya. Everybody in the region hates him because he's got, you know, all, you know, he's, there's this famous speech that he gave and it was the speech that was used by Barack Obama as saying, this is the reason we need to intervene in Libya because this guy's talking about wiping out his own people. And so I watched the speech and in the speech, it's a rambling speech. The guy rambled a lot, but in this rambling speech, he's talking about purifying Libya and going door to door, and it's a little vague on what he's talking about, to be honest with you. Um, mm-hmm. But I watched it, and I was like, wow, this guy's a maniac. No wonder he got overthrown. And then I start learning more about it. I start reading um, message boards full of, you know, Libyan takes on yeah. Gaddafi, and they love the guy. Not everyone, clearly, not everyone, yeah. but way more than I expected. Um, like a lot more than I expected, especially in in North Africa and the Middle East, I had no idea that there was such support for Muammar Gaddafi. Now, some of this could be after the fact. They're like, okay, this guy's a martyr, um, right. and uh, and therefore maybe more people support him now than otherwise. But you know, the more deeper, the deeper that I dug. I started realizing like what I had learned about Gaddafi was not how everyone views him. And that is not the narrative that was being sold in the United States and in Canada and in Britain and all of these other places. The narrative that was being sold is everybody wants this guy gone. And so, so I kind of worked the song around that. I wrote the song about that and 
about how it is that somebody like Muammar Gaddafi comes to power, how it is that his power corrupts, because it always does, and then at what point, like what was it that led to his being overthrown? And yeah. it was a long period of time, first off, 1969 to 2011, that's a long time uh, for a guy to be in charge, you know? And again, he wasn't president necessarily the whole time, but he was the leader of the country. And so I was looking into into how that happened and just researching more about it. I was asking Libyans, you know, I, was, I, was, I had a email thread going back and forth with some different Libyans. I was like, hey, I'm working on this project about Gaddafi, you know, tell me what your take is, what's your family's take on him. And a lot of people were like, you know what, before Gaddafi, we had, and the people I was talking to were younger, but they said, my grandpa, who knew what Libya was like before Gaddafi, this was a monarchy. They had a king, and the king was in charge, and nobody got any say in anything. Then Gaddafi, um, I don't know if you knew this, I don't know if you know much about how he, he came into power. I, I learned don't. this through this process. It's fascinating. It was a bloodless coup that happened. Really? Not a single person died during this coup. And it was in 1969, him and some friends, they enrolled in the military in Libya, and then they went overseas, they got some training overseas, they came back, and they kind of fomented revolution uh, amongst all of them, and they essentially just showed up at the king's palace, and they said, look, we're in charge, you can leave right now, and if you leave the country and never come back, you can leave with your life. Oh and God. he did that, and he left. <laughs> and. And so then they took over, and what Gaddafi did is he said, he always called himself Colonel Gaddafi, never called himself president. And what he did is uh, he created direct democracy groups. And these direct democracy groups where he went around Libya and they formed, you know, kind of what a lot of progressives talk about what democracy should look like in the United States, which is more like not this vague, you know, uh, maybe we elect a guy that represents a region that snakes through parts of my county or my parish or yeah. whatever and like now this guy represents 200,000 people and he doesn't have to vote in my interest once he's elected you know and so what they did is they did basically they had these small groups of people who who would vote on things and they had to come to a consensus before they did anything and then they would kind of make decisions on a government level based on that and that was the government system that he implemented in Libya it's very Greco-Roman you know, it is, you know, a remarkable thing to do uh, because you usually hear about when there's a military coup of any kind, military takes over and it becomes a military dictatorship. Yeah. And you could argue, I guess, that that probably did happen to a degree um, with maybe fewer people dying than in, like, Egypt, for example. Egypt has a military dictatorship right now, but in Libya, less people were dying and at least at least less people were recorded dying. Um, yeah. You know, from, from my knowledge, I, I, I don't know a ton about this era, but from what I've read about it, uh, they did that, and then they um, incentivized education. They said everybody in Libya is going to get a free education, um, and we'll pay for it if you decide to go to another country for education. So people were going to college in other countries, and Libya was paying for it because they had all this oil money, right? Yeah. And so with their oil money, they paid for a bunch of people to go to college, and they would come back, and a lot of them became doctors. And they had one of the best healthcare systems in the Middle East, in, in Northern Africa, in the Middle East. And uh, that's the case 
even till today, I mean, right now the country's falling apart after they overthrew Gaddafi, just devolved into chaos, and that's right. kind of where we're at right now. And that seems to be what happens every time that there's any kind of revolution, which was what, what blew my mind about the Gaddafi coup was that it was bloodless. You never hear yeah. about that happening, you know? So anyway, I learned more about this, and it didn't exactly make me love the guy because he was a monster. <laughs> like, he wouldn't give up power for decades and decades decades and decades, you know, and so this is a guy who clearly is influenced by power, but it was a more complicated story than I realized. And and that was what started the Anxiety Cat project, was was me learning about Gaddafi and wanting to do more things about that, uh, kind of like about these reality-shifting events. So that was a reality-shifting event for Libya when it happened, and then the overthrow of Libya was another reality-shifting event in the world, I think, and it's what has happened in Libya since 2011, I think, has largely influenced where we're at as a country right now, the United States, with Trump. Indirectly, I think it has. And so yeah. started working on things about all of the, maybe the unknown aspects of international politics and just international events in general that led to the state of things, where we're at right now. Right. And so that's what that, uh, that's kind of where that came from. From. That was a long answer to your question. <laughs> <laughs> no, I enjoyed it. Um, I like people talking on my podcast where we talk to people. Um, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> um, but do you want people to come away from your album with a certain outlook on things, or do you want them to see your outlook on it and then just keep moving forward? Oh, I mean, you can't control that. You yeah. know, it's like I I had to give up that control a long time ago like the first time I, I had a, a meaningful taxpayer song um, become something that people were listening to and like contacting me about they're like hey I love this song um, I started realizing pretty quickly like what other people take away from this is not going to be what I take out of this uh, it, sometimes it is but very rarely is that the case because right. everyone's coming at things from their own perspective with their own stuff and you know I do hope, like the one hope that I have from it is that it makes people think about some of these events that maybe they hadn't considered more. Maybe it uh, allows, gives them the room to maybe explore some of the stuff in the way that I was allowed to explore the stuff myself and saying like, huh, I don't know a ton about Gaddafi in Libya. Let me learn a little bit more about how this all went down. And I hope that's the takeaway from it. Um, you know, I, yeah, like I say, you can't really control how people yeah. uh, Does, take something though. Does that not frustrate you, though? Because I know it does for me. Yeah. Uh, a friend of mine and I make music, and I wrote a song about like, uh, about a relationship, how maybe I wasn't as great as I could have been. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, we were sharing it to friends, and somebody said, like, oh, man, I can't believe you, like, you, like, went, at, you, like, went in on her for that song. And I, was, I got, like, really frustrated. I didn't, like, yell at them or anything, right. but I was like, like, how do you get that from this? You know, are you not frustrated when, when people say songs like... Um, are you the song you're referring to? Was it "I Love You Like an Alcoholic"? <laughs> That's funny. Uh, yeah, no, I mean that is one that uh, a lot of people hear without the larger context of the album, yeah. and they're like, "Okay, this is a broken-hearted love song," and it is, but it's, it's not. It's not about me, you know. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. like, it's, it's about some. <laughs> it's about a fictional character, you know. Yeah. But no, I mean, yeah, that is definitely one of them. Um, I can imagine that the personal songs, like what you're talking about, the personal song of yours that was being misconstrued, yeah, that's a harder thing to let go, for right. sure. Um, I've I've tried to always, uh, you know, I don't know if I've tried to do this, but a lot of my songs are couched in, in 
like hidden symbolism and metaphor in a way that like yeah. it's kind of like what we were talking about with the pseudonym how you can kind of protect yourself by doing certain and that's how I protect myself in songs I, I, I use you know metaphor stuff like that mm-hmm. so, so that I can indirectly talk about things without having to worry about that so much but yeah that's a concern of mine for sure uh, especially for the really really personal things um, like a there's one song that is called The Windows Break that I wrote, and that was one of the first songs that I wrote that was about personal events of, of myself, and it was like these really very traumatic events, and um, you wouldn't know what it was about unless you, you, knew, you knew me and you knew yeah. that specific situation. Um, but, you know, speaking of my, I was telling you about my grandma earlier, I, I sent her, when that record came out, I sent her a CD of it, and she listened to that song and she knew exactly what I was talking about. Yeah. And she said, I listened to that song and it made me cry because I know what you're talking about and it breaks my heart. And, um, you know, and so it wasn't misconstrued on her end, but yeah, the concern is that it will be, <laughs> it will be heard, you know, and, and yeah. when something is heard, that's a difficult thing to talk about. And yeah, then you got to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, and that's hard sometimes, especially when you're not uh, the good guy um, in yeah. the story that you're telling. It's, um, it is it is easy yeah. for artists to forget that sometimes people look at their stuff. I've been in that situation where you get the phone call and it's like, hey, this thing you shared, is it about blank? And you're like, ah, yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Let's yeah, talk yeah. about it. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, but um, are you nervous sharing like a political album at all? Are you afraid of like backlash? You know, I'm not afraid about sharing a political album as much as I'm sharing a, a, a personal album. Personal albums are much scarier for me. Yeah. Um, you know what's weird though? In 2020 political songs and albums are, at least this has been my take on it, is that they're less accepted in today's world than they were in, for example, in the late 1970s and the early 80s when punk was just overtly political. Nowadays, you're bound to get someone online that's like, eh, leave the politics out of it, you know? And it's like, well, what what are you talking about? This is punk music. Like, this is supposed to be political, right? Um, Some people like thinking about that stuff and like being challenged on things. you know, that, that was the thing that got me into punk music was feeling like my beliefs were being challenged and I could listen to a song and feel righteous about it and I could also feel attacked by the same song and disagree with it. But I loved that feeling of having to like confront my true feelings about a topic, especially when it was something that involved something I knew nothing about. Like the Dead Kennedys were great with this. Yeah. I learned so much about the world through listening to Dead Kennedy songs, a world that no longer existed, a world of the early 1980s. Like for example, learning about Cambodia um, and Cambodian history years before I was alive or, or at least conscious of what was going on. I learned a lot about that stuff through them, not because they gave a speech about it and they, they, they taught us about it, but because they said some kind of, um, you know, they said some things about topics that I was like, huh, what are they talking about there? That's that's pretty yeah. intense, whatever they're talking about. It made me research it and look into it a little bit more. So, yeah, to answer your question, I'm not, I'm not worried about the political stuff. I mean, I guess now you just, with the, the proliferation of the internet and everybody can say whatever the fuck they want yeah. uh, anonymously, 
you're bound to get people who are being jerks about stuff uh, online and say like, yeah, keep your mouth shut about something you don't know what you're talking about. You know, you, you see this happening all the time and it it sucks, but we all just have to get thick skin about it because that's just how it is until we figure out how to, I don't know if something can be done about that. Uh, I, I kind of feel like it is a problem. The anonymity of the internet is a problem. I think yeah. that, uh, you know, I think it would be a much healthier place if <laughs> people, if people, you know, if it was like, this is Rob talking, this is not just some random screen name and yeah. Rob saying some bullshit that he doesn't actually believe because he can get away with it because it's anonymous, you know, if we all had to die on the hill that we were fighting for because our family and our friends and our coworkers knew who we were on the internet, maybe it'd be a little bit different, you know? Yeah. But then again, there's, there's negatives to that, obviously. Totalitarian countries would take advantage of that, and they do. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I agree with you. It's um, problems. That uh, political albums get more heat today than they originally should have. Um, like AJJ's weird? most recent album, yeah. Good Luck Everybody. I don't know if you've heard it, but... I haven't. I've heard it's really good, though. Uh, Honestly, and I've heard it's, it, it's pretty... Um, divisive amongst yeah. AJJ fans. They've got they've got a song like it's called Mega Guillotine We're Waiting for You and stuff like that. Um, it's a very it's a very political album. It's very clear what they're for uh, in the songs. And yeah. I saw online that like they shouldn't be political, but AJJ's been a punk band first yeah, before forever. anything else. And that's that's been so oh, confusing yeah. for me. I think it's people yeah. who may be like like recently discovering them who might not have known that. And it's yeah. fun to watch them like, oh, hey, you know, have a meltdown over it. <laughs> yeah, partly. But also when they say, like, keep your keep your politics out of your music. Uh, yeah. No one's forcing you to listen to anybody's music. Yeah. You know, if someone's putting a gun to your head and saying, listen to Mega Guillotine, you've got bigger problems than what that guy's talking about. Yeah. In the song. Yeah. Um, it's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. And and the thing is, I guess people listen to music for different reasons. Some people listen as an escape. Some people just listen to it for fun. It's just background music. But, you know, for, for me, I listen to music to be challenged. I like yeah. I like to be challenged. I like to have thought-provoking stuff to think. I love it when I disagree with a song or when I'm like, eh. I don't like I don't like their take on that, you know? <laughs> you know, I, I love that. It's a great uh, thing. And it, it's also an important thing to remember that a narrator of a song is is not always the songwriter themselves you know yeah. this can be any number of people could be the i in the song um yeah but, uh, kurt yeah. cobain got in trouble with that um yeah the song specifically in bloom hmm. um people were like what are you talking about this dude who you know watches other people just hang out and shoot guns and he was like i don't know it's yeah. not me it's somebody yeah, they yeah. There's all kinds of interviews where they're like, "What, what does that mean?" And he's like, yeah. I, don't, "I don't understand." You know, people can understand if I wrote a novel about, yeah. you know, John Gregory. That's not me, Joshua. But if yeah. I write a song about a guy named John, I'm John suddenly. Oh yeah. I don't understand the difference. You're right. In fiction, especially in prose, yeah. uh, you know, people give you a pass. They're like, "Oh, this is a this is fiction," um, but then. For some reason, when somebody's singing about it, it's a different story. Yeah. Um, okay. I think now's a good place to take a break. We're about halfway through. Do you want to yeah. introduce your song, like a bad radio yeah, host? Yeah, sure thing. So you're going to uh, you're gonna play that uh, end of reality song off of the new Anxiety Cat record. So, yeah. Um, so this, this is the last song on the Anxiety Cat record. Uh, the album is called The End of Reality As We Know It, and 
the song is called The End of Reality, and it opens with a quote by Winston Churchill, and all of the songs on the Anxiety Cat record uh, have uh, an excerpt of audio from something else. And it, it, most of them do. And the audio excerpt of this one is a relatively famous quote by Winston Churchill that he gave towards the end of World War II when a lot of people were thinking that um, the tides were turning, that Germany was losing, that you know that the Allies were, were going to be winning this. And he gave this speech in which it's a hilarious speech. The guy was the guy was a piece of work, you know, and he was, uh, he, but he was if nothing if not a joke teller, and he was he was great with his jokes. And the excerpt from this does not include the joke part of it, um, but it, it starts off. Let me see if I can do it. Correct. Let me see if I can paraphrase it. He says, uh, "This is not the end. This is not even the beginning. This is not even the beginning of the end. But it is the end of the beginning." And then he like starts his speech. Everyone laughs. They're like, "Oh, he's talking about the introduction to his speech. He's not talking about the war anymore." <laughs> you know. And so it was pretty funny, but it was so appropriate. I thought it was such an appropriate way to start the song because first off, it's the last song on the album, and we're kind of coming into this great unknown of this pandemic. And the song itself is about that, um, but it's about all of these larger reality shifting events that have been taking place over the last twenty years that were referenced in the prior seven songs. And um, having the Winston Churchill opening was uh, kind of a way to, to remind ourselves that, you know, we can think that we're either at the beginning of something or at the end. We have no idea where we're at at any given yeah. moment. And all we know is that we're going to keep on mucking along if we're lucky. And that's about all we can hope for. <laughs> and yeah. So that's my long-winded... Uh, introduction to the song End of Reality by Anxiety Cat. This is not the end. It is not even the beginning. 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 There's a hole in the wall where the water gets in. It was Still haven't fixed it. Wood gets more rotten and moldy with each passing rain. But the roof is still strong and the beams are all straight. The foundation brick can still hold up its weight. Built long before it be here long after we're gone. Everything's gone, everything's gone, everything's gone, everything's broken, but everything broken will soon get reborn. So slip on your mask and pull on your gloves, wipe down with bleach every surface you've touched. Don't call it a tragedy, it's only gravity But it's not the end, just the end of reality
right, let's keep going, man. I got my tea. I'm, <laughs> I'm hanging out. I got nowhere to be. Me either, so, man. That's the thing. It's like, yeah. when I'm done, because used to, when I would record, I would get done. Oh, hey, first of all, hey, welcome back. Um, yeah. But <laughs> uh, when I would be done recording when I was in uh, Winter Park, Florida, I would go, I would walk down to the 7-Eleven, and I would get, like, a drink in those dibs ice creams. You know the ones uh-huh. talking about? Uh, but I don't I, know dibs. I mean, they're small little things of ice cream. They're <laughs> covered in um, chocolate and, like, uh, I guess it's rice, kind of like a crunch bar. Oh, yeah, it's like a little slice of, uh, a oh, slice of ice cream. They're no, they're, they're in a cup. They're incredible. I've never heard of this. It sounds uh, delicious. Yeah, um, the best part is that you're supposed to be able to eat some, cap it, and then put it away for later. Yeah. But I have no impulse control. So that's what I would go to Dr. Pepper and some dibs. And they'd be gone on the walk back, but that would be, like, the routine. And I'm a very routine-based person. Yeah. And so to do this and be like, oh, it's it's either too late for me to go out or I'm not going to risk the, my life and the life of my family for a Dr. Pepper and some ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been a very weird feeling adjusting to not doing this ritualistic thing. So it's yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. We just got to come up with other rituals, you oh, know, yeah. in its place. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm sure you have those. I've, I've certainly created those. Although, you know, I, we think about this every time we go out to do anything now. You think, am I going to kill someone because I need to yeah. get gas? You know, and so like what I was doing before the reason, so I was like, you know, 10 minutes late to our interview. And the reason is I was running some errands and I've been doing some grocery shopping for some friends. And um, so we were out of groceries and I, you know, I got a car. And so sometimes I'll I'll pick it up for other people. And I was like, oh, I'll, I'll go get it for my one friend who is pretty severely immunocompromised, you yeah. know, and, and I'm thinking about this and. And, and she's like, ah, you know, can you get me this? Wait, never mind. Or, you know, and then I was like, should I, should I bring all this stuff home and wipe it down with bleach before I go over there? Or right. is me just going out there? Am, am I going to kill someone in the process of doing this? You know, there's so much guilt and there's so much, uh, there's so much weight to every choice that you have if you leave your house now. Yeah. And like... You know, and, and most people aren't even thinking about that. At least in New Orleans, where I live, nobody's thinking about that. You know, so like I, I go around. There's just people who are everywhere. They're having barbecues still. They're coughing on each other, and they're you know they're high fiving, and, and and they're yeah. not thinking about it. But some people, some people are stressing out about it, and it's just I'm certainly stressing out about it, and I'm just wondering, like, what decision am I about to make today that is going to not just you know because every decision has consequences. Yeah. And you never always know what those consequences are going to be. But now the consequences are life and death in some cases. Yeah. That's fucking terrifying. The hardest part is because, you know, I'm, you know, like I said, I'm 21. So if I get coronavirus, I'm down for a week and then I'm good again. I'm fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But a friend of mine has asthma and his roommates uh, were constantly bringing their boyfriends over. Yeah. And. That while that is, if you're if you're listening and you're like, well, that's only four people. Like, what's the what's the big deal? The big deal is, you know, my my friend has asthma, and we don't know where those boyfriends are going when they're not yeah. at the apartment. And so this big argument, not not a big argument, but this like big fuss comes up, where it's like, you're yeah, you guys would be fine, but I won't is what he was saying. Yeah. He eventually had to move back to his parents' house, which then yeah. means he has to spend a week locked in a room to make sure that he doesn't have the yeah. virus. At his and, parents' house, nonetheless. Yeah, and they don't, um, <laughs> in Georgia, you know, we're we we have the luxury of being able to have basements. So I was like, oh, just yeah. you know, go down to the basement. It'll be a little colder, but you know, everyone's safe. You're fine. Yeah. Uh, he, his house doesn't have one, so he has to be on the same floor as everyone else. Yeah. And, uh, there's a site called Reopen Georgia. It's a private site. 
where people yeah. are complaining that they can't get a haircut. And yeah. I want to go in there so bad and be like, what are you talking about? Like, here's the situation with my friend in his apartment. Or um, here's the number of people that have immuno disorders in the state. And you're upset because you can't get a shave from a professional? Yeah. It's ridiculous. It's, it's because of the propaganda. The, the, yeah. A lot of people are, are consuming so much propaganda that... And, you know, honestly, what the story I told you about the Gaddafi stuff, that yeah. was me waking up to the realization that I, too, uh, am consuming propaganda. And yeah. my, my take on things is being influenced by that. But all of the people, the reopen people, they're, re- they're listening to tons of Fox News. Yeah. We're watching lots of Fox News. And, you know, you're different st- if you're, you're getting a different set of facts and a different set of information. And, you know, you and me, we, we're like, okay, look, it's not about you wearing a mask. We don't care if you get sick. We care if you cough on someone else. The mask isn't about keeping you safe. It's yeah. about keeping everyone else safe, right? So I go to the grocery store and they're like, yeah, you need to wear a mask. And people throw shit fits about it. They're like, I don't, <laughs> what about, you know, this is America. I'm supposed to be able to let myself get sick. It's like, we don't care if you get sick, buddy. You put on the mask so you don't get the rest of us sick, yeah. you know? And so, you know, but that, we're at such a place in America right now where the propaganda has seeped in so deeply and it's been so pervasive for so long that no amount of information is going to make people think differently about anything. It doesn't matter what the facts are. You know, it it just, it's, it's beside the point for a lot of people. Um, yeah, especially because it contradicts, right? The people that I'm seeing complain that Costco won't let them in. Uh, because yeah. that's a constitutional right, were the same people that were saying that a bakery had the choice whether or not to give cakes to people. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, so you're assuming that they that they that they that they could consciously <laughs> acknowledge the disconnect there. And no, a lot of people aren't capable of that. You know, yeah. and at that and and to be honest with you, like I know plenty of people who are that way. Uh, I yeah. have family members who are that way. And in many ways they're completely reasonable people and they're somewhat educated and they're hardworking and they love their family and they're decent people in a lot of other ways but you know because of the way the human ego works admitting that we're wrong about something is a really hard thing to do yeah and if anyone listening who knows me would probably say that I'm a very stubborn person and I am so I agree to that yeah um I, I guarantee I'm doing I, I don't know what I would be doing right now that would be hypocritical to who I was but yeah. I'm probably doing it you know that's that's another big problem yeah that's part of being human yeah. I feel like the you know we're all hypocrites the only way out of that is trying to recognize it when it happens yeah. and uh, be, being willing to be wrong about something you know I think that's the one lesson that we all need to learn is or the if we could all learn how to be wrong gracefully, I think we'd live in a more equal world, or a, a better world. Yeah. Uh, it's just the inability to be wrong, or the inability to at least see the other person's perspective is is a problem. Yeah, and something I go but, back and forth on is, what is the shelf life for something being wrong? You know, because, yeah. uh, well, God, like, seven years ago I was 16. Yeah. Or probably, no, five years ago, I was 16, sorry. I said terrible things on the internet, guaranteed. You can oh, find yeah. them, guaranteed. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes I think, like, well, what if that pops up? And I'm like, well, yeah, I was a teenager. I said that, like, I, I agree he was an idiot. Is that enough? 
you know. Yeah. Um, so it's a weird thing. Well, you know, I, I like. Trust me, I struggle with this too. I think everyone does, uh, <laughs> especially. But you know, but the thing is, is with the internet, it's all there and it's all recorded somewhere, yeah. you know. And so, I'm a little bit older than you. I'm 35. I well, I think 35. I was I was born in '84, right? right. And so I kind of saw. I, I lived part of the time that I was conscious of being alive was was pre-internet. And right around the time I got to high school is when the internet started really taking off and, right. and becoming a really big thing. And when I was a sophomore in high school, first message board that I'd ever heard of was created. And it was created by a friend of mine, kind of a friend of a friend. And I didn't know this at the time, but it was a very conservative website that he had created. Yeah. And I was just getting into punk music at the time, but I was also like, I was getting it from lots of different angles, getting all my information from different angles. And I didn't quite know what I believed. Um, and so some of the stuff was resonating with me that people were saying on these message boards. You know, a lot of people were complaining about Bill Clinton. They called him uh, Slick Willie and, uh, yeah. and all this kind of stuff, right? And I knew, I knew from that point, I was like, I don't think that the president is a person to be trusted necessarily, you know? And so I, so I, so I connected with that. I was like, yeah. And so anyway, we, we start doing all this stuff and we start, um, you know, just going nuts and, you know, we're throwing teachers under the bus on this message board. And we didn't realize at the time that this was going to be recorded forever, right? Yeah. We, we, this is a new thing. This is a new apparatus this internet and uh and so we think it's just like when you're just bullshitting with your friends in the basement or, or hanging out you know yeah. and you soon realize that that is a snapshot of who you were during that time and yeah. never ever is it a good snapshot <laughs> because <laughs> because you know like that's that's part of growing up is we're all shitheads when we're gr growing up yeah. Up and, and part of the process is growing up and becoming a better person. Is you got to be a shitty person to become a better person, right? Nobody's a saint to begin with, and so I think one of the problems that the world is undergoing, and and this is happening, especially on the left with progressives, is we throw a lot of people under the bus for stuff that is um, cemented in time on the internet somewhere from like 10 years ago, yeah. uh, Twitter comment or, a, a, an email or whatever. And I, I, I think in order to be able to move forward as a world, we're going to need to be able to accept that people can make mistakes and people can be shitty people in the past and also not be shitty people now, you know, people can learn. And, yeah. and that's, I mean, that's the core of my belief. Uh, you know, I, I've made records about that. I've written, written stories about that. Is that like, you know, nobody is a lost cause. People can be shitty at some period of their life, and that does not mean that they are beyond help or even a bad person now. And yeah. so that's a long way of me saying don't beat yourself up about it. Yeah. You know, people are probably going to beat you up about it, but, you know, like all you can do is be honest about who you were and own up to it when what you were in the past is not who you are now. Try to maybe explain the process of how you got to the point where you're at now and then that's all you can do. But man, Josh, I've, I've, been, I've definitely struggled with that a lot. Like I, I have so many things that are about that. You know, I was just such a shithead when I was, <laughs> when I was 15, when I was 16. The thing that's interesting is, um, 
and I've talked about this in the show probably a dozen times, is no one's harder on you than you are. Um, Me about it. Yeah, because I, I feel like if for some reason I found the conserv- the the one message board you were on when you were an idiot you yeah. know, at the birth of the internet, I'd be like, oh, th- these guys are obviously... Especially if you're like, man, Miss Robinson from Algebra sucks. Like, we'd be like, okay, yeah, yeah these are teenagers. Yeah. This is fine. Yeah. Um, I think we all forget that a lot of times because when I think of myself saying dumb things on the internet, I think of me now. I think of... Because I'm responsible for myself. Yeah, from your current if, perspective. Yeah, if somebody finds my Tumblr blog from 2014, they're going to think of a, of a teenager. Yeah. And you can see that from, like, the, the things I'm sharing, the things I'm talking about, and the way I talk. Yeah. Like, this is a child. I think it's a big thing people forget. Well, you know, it's easy to do when you can see the language behind it, but some of the things that I worry about uh, becoming public at some point are songs that I recorded from back then. Because, <laughs> yeah. like, so, I don't know about you, but back when I was... So when I was a teenager, I was under the impression that um, part of being punk was being offensive in some ways, right. like pushing the boundaries, you know what I yeah. mean? And and. And I, I still, to some degree, I think that it's good to push boundaries, but I've now realized that um, pushing the boundaries, uh, it's, it, it only, like, it depends on which direction you're punching is what, one thing that I've learned, right? Punching yeah. up, punching down, punching yourself. These are different things, you know? And so when I look back at some of the songs that I recorded from when I was a teenager, I was doing a lot of punching down, and that's not a good look. And... Yeah. You know, but again, um, I think one of the best responses from this came from, I forget the guy's name, but he's the guy who directed the Guardians of the Galaxy. Do you know who I'm talking about? Oh, goodness. I usually uh, know his name. What's um, his name? James Gunn? James Gunn, yes. So, so he was, uh, this was a guy who I thought his uh, take, so, so Disney, I think, took him off of the directing of the second one, right? Because some tweets came up about him saying some fucked up shit on Twitter. Some tweets from, like, Twitter. 2008. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and actually, I knew the guy beforehand because he did some trauma films, and trauma yeah. is, you know, they speaking of boundary pushing, that's what they do. They, they, did, they, they did Toxic Avenger, right? Yeah, that was their famous one, and they did, they do, like, blood splatter stuff, and yeah. they do, they do very... They push boundaries. Midnight and, features. Yeah, exactly. Kind of grindhouse stuff and very campy stuff. And yeah. so it, it wasn't a surprise to anybody who, who knew the guy's previous work that he had sent some boundary-pushing stuff in the, in the past. Yeah. But then now he's directing Disney movies. And so <laughs> he's like, oh, shit. And so what he said I thought was brilliant. He said something along the lines of, you know, that is who I was then. And I don't don't hate the person who I was then because that person led to who I am now and I'm proud of who I am now and the person that I am now would not make those comments um, yeah. I don't think they were good comments that I made and um, you know I disavow them but that's me now disavowing them um, I don't hate the person who I was then now I loved that comment but I haven't been able to get there myself. I still hate the person I was back yeah. then. That's a that's a harder thing. I feel like that comes from probably years of therapy, uh, being able to not hate the person you were when you were a totally shitty person. Yeah, that's hard. Uh, well, but, there's a comedian yeah. uh, and musician, Dan Avadan. He's in bands like Starbomb and Ninja Sex Party. Um, or it's Dan a good Avedan. band name. I, I haven't heard of him. Oh, uh, they they he does. Um, just like comedy songs they're a lot of fun I've been listening yeah. and following this guy's career since I was in high school because they would yeah. do like 
I don't know, just like uh, like a three part song. Yeah. Part of uh, like finding like a, a quest for the Holy Grail, but really the whole story is why this guy can't take his girlfriend to dinner, just like fun stuff like that. <laughs> but yeah. he said um, he doesn't. He said he didn't believe in predestination, but if he were to be sent back in time with no knowledge of the future, he would undoubtedly do the exact same things that he did. Yeah. And I think that's another good way to look at it. That's huh. the way I'm trying to learn how to look at it, where it's like, I, yeah. I, I was going to have a lot of arguments growing up. Like, that's just who yeah. I am, and that's who I yeah. was. Uh, but again, like you said, that's a uh, thing I have to learn how to do as I yeah. keep going. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's true, though, because... Would we have the perspective that we have now if we hadn't been complete jerks back yeah. in the day? <laughs> I hope so. I hope I would have come to the same conclusions. But you do learn something. I think you can be humbled by realizing that you were not a good person at some point. I think yeah. that's probably a good thing for everyone to learn because we've all had periods when we haven't been a good person. And uh, yeah. learning that is is. is part of the process of growing as a human mm -hmm. I think. It also helps you be able to recognize times when you start to do things that a, what you think a good person wouldn't do. Like oh yeah. hold on I'm acting I'm acting like an ass here and you can't recognize that if you weren't an ass somewhere previous in your life. Yeah yeah yeah, yeah that's true yeah it's um, you know it can be pretty easy to be self-righteous and holier than thou and kind of be part of the pitchfork mob when somebody else has screwed up, but it becomes harder to do that when you've been humbled yourself in some way. You know, yeah. it's it's the mob becomes less uh, desirable for the person that has <laughs> that can see themselves in the in the person being lynched. Yeah, you know, whenever a person. new celebrity gets um, like canceled. Yeah. And um, usually you find out by going onto Twitter and you see like the new trend, like a, just a celebrity's name is trending. They're either dead or they've been canceled. Um, and you start yeah. reading through these tweets or you read an article and you're like, well, hold on. Why did it start? Like that's, yeah, I didn't, I probably it's didn't a little question unclear. that until recently. Yeah. Like, um, like a, a celebrity, a musician who I won't name so that I don't accidentally bring things back up was falsely yeah. accused for giving somebody an STD. Um, yeah. What had happened was a, a woman goes to her friend and says, I have this, I might have this STD. And also recently I slept with a celebrity. And so then yeah. her friend went and said, this is what happened. Yeah, he gave her this STD. And so people blew it up. Eventually, thank yeah. God, you know, the original woman came forth and she said, that's not the story. That's not what happened. Please don't direct hate towards him. And it's yeah. like, okay, good. Everyone, ev everyone comes out of it safe and fine and happy. Yeah. Um, so whenever I see someone like the artist Joji is currently under fire and people are canceling him, and it's like, well, uh, they're canceling him because he used to play a character of a person to make fun of people who thought it was be, it was funny to be offensive, and so like they would they're they're pulling it out, and it's like, well, why are we why are we just not bringing it up? What happened to cause it? Yeah. And uh, that's made me a lot less um, judgmental of of Joji as he goes through this currently. Where it's like, yeah, well, who hasn't done something stupid before? Yeah, it, it, uh, it in, in some ways it's hard to sympathize with a massive celebrity because you're like, well, you are, you know, the, the the world's <laughs> tiniest violin is playing for, you know, uh, Brad Pitt right now as he gets canceled or whoever it might yeah. be. But then again, uh, it's a hard thing to watch people pile on anyone and. Yeah destroy them and you know 
it yeah it, it's it, it's a hard thing to watch it's just a sad thing to watch um, all of this psychic hatred go towards a person and they have to just either soak that all in or reflect it in some way did right. you hear that did you hear that piano is it your cat yeah he's walking around on the piano right now <laughs> um, that sounds great buddy keep going keep going <laughs> <laughs> That was kind of ominous. Right, yeah, he's sounding. setting the tone. Um, yeah. Uh, if you're open to it, we can talk about something more positive. Um, yeah, yeah, what you got? Um, I, I just had a couple questions about your Song of the Week Club that you've been doing for... Oh, uh, yeah, of course. Um, I, actually, how long have you been doing the Song of the Week Club? You know, it's been... It's been over two years, I think. Right. Uh, it's been a while. I, I, I just posted the 150th original song so yeah. it's been going for at least 150 songs um i think it's a little over two years at this point right um which is where crazy. did the time go i feel yeah. like that's nuts um you can see it too and the um the video you did for alec um not the stocks are skyrocketing but the billy hayes song where you yeah yeah revival day revival day yeah uh his yeah. mom asked you to play the tomato song which yeah. is on your Song of the Week Club. Yeah, yeah, that's and an earlier one. Yeah, you were like, that's years ago, and that's when it yeah. hit me that you've been doing this for so long. Um, yeah. You've said before that it's a, it's a way to you know, keep yourself studied in what you do as a songwriter. Yeah. Um, have there been other benefits from doing it? Like, are you building a community of some sort? Yeah, I think so. Certainly, I've met a lot of interesting people through it, Um and I, I think I've created some friendships through it from people that I don't know that I would have met otherwise. Um, yeah. So I'm definitely, yeah, like the, the community aspect has been fantastic. Um, in terms of the songwriting aspect, it's been great discipline for me. Um, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I'm not a terribly disciplined person in oh, no, general. <laughs> and so it's been a good excuse to stay on top of something to say okay I have to do something every week and to be honest with you Josh I I have been less disciplined with the pandemic when it comes to the coronavirus yeah. stuff um, and the songwriting than I than I was before I'll be honest I've actually been more busy um, since the pandemic in yeah. some ways than I was before but like um, but but yeah no I mean it's been nothing but a positive thing I, I can't see any negatives from mm. it what I really worried going into it was that it was going to be um, and this remains to be seen so maybe I'm gonna end up uh, <laughs> opening up something that I didn't expect but like I, I was really worried that uh, in sharing myself on a personal level on a weekly Right. Like I've always uh, shied away from that. Like anything that I had put out before the song of the week club, I never attached my name to it with the exception of the book that I wrote for the uh, taxpayers record. Um, like I never attached my name to anything. I really did interviews. I really did. And um, because I, I guess I had some concerns about what we were just talking about, which is 
I don't know, ending up on the receiving end of a mob. You <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? Like for, for something that I didn't expect or that I didn't realize or something from my past or any number of things that, you, you know, you, you, you get paranoid sometimes when you yeah. share yourself. And that was what I worried is that I was like, I'm going to be sharing myself regularly week in and week out. Um, is this going to... Is this going to be hard? Is this going to be a hard thing to do, like work. psychologically yeah. um, and emotionally speaking? Like, is this going to is this going to fuck with me emotionally? And it hasn't. It really hasn't so far. Honestly, it's been freeing in a lot of ways. Being more open with just sharing my stuff has been freeing. It's been yeah. nothing but a positive. Um, and I've been able to talk about more personal things that I maybe would have otherwise uh, done, you know, without having to couch it in that symbolism and metaphor that we were talking about before. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, I, I've gotten more comfortable with, I mean, doing what we're doing now, just talking about stuff and yeah. uh, sharing songs and sharing the, the way that your brain works, you know? Um, so I think it's a good thing. I, there's definitely a danger in it. And it, the danger has not yet materialized in a significant way. It does come up occasionally with me where sometimes when I'm having a rough week, um, I don't know, just the aspect of, of sharing something, right. putting it out there for the world, and them knowing it was me specifically, that it wasn't a character, that it was yeah. it was me, you know, that that's, that's the danger. Um, does it ever feel like... Uh, like you're having a rough week and then it's like, ah, oh, fuck, I got to do another song this week. Does it yeah. ever feel like that? Uh, I'm not that I can recall. Uh, yeah, that could be an issue. I could see that becoming an issue, but to be honest with you, I'm, I've been able to separate the songwriting from my personal stuff. Like a lot of times the personal stuff will influence the songwriting, but sometimes when I'm having a really rough time, a good escape for me is to work on some fiction. And yeah. and that's what I'll do during those times is I'll work on a song that's just total fiction, which like that's ninety percent of the stuff I do is fiction, but yeah. you know, and so it's like it's easier to have a rough day and then sit down and be like I'm gonna write something about that Billy Hayes guy that you mentioned, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna flesh out his world a little bit more and work on his problems, <laughs> not right. my problems. I'm working on his problems a little <laughs> bit right now, you know, or um, you know any number of things. Yeah, which your Patreon so, is. Uh, Patreon.com yeah. slash Rob dash taxpayer. No, it's uh, I think it's song of the I think it's Patreon.com slash Song of the Week Club. The Song yeah, of the Week Club. One word. Um, yeah. But there's I actually just did a created a went live with a website my friend Nicole helped me with recently. It's called Hairpond. Dot org and that has a link to the the Song of the Week Club on it. So yes. that's an easier thing to probably remember than Patreon.com slash Song of the Week Club or whatever it is. <laughs> It'll all be uh, below yeah. in the yeah. whichever podcast. If you're listening to a podcast for the description on the, on the side, it's over there. But yeah. It'll be there yeah. somewhere. It's down there yonder in the internet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So org is the place where all that's. But yeah, I mean, it's it's been a really positive experience. And you know what? I, I started it um, not knowing about Patreon. Um, yeah. I, my original idea behind it is, I was talking with Elise about it, and I said, you know, I do, she, she knows that I do a lot of songs, I, I just, I've kind of compulsively do it, it's like a, it's, yeah. not, it's kind of like journaling for me, it's just a, I don't know, it's a, it's just something I do, I don't, I don't know why, I've just, yeah. just always done it, and, and so I do a lot of it, and then I would have, like, just 
the hard drives full of hundreds of songs that nobody would ever hear because you know how many songs can you fit on a record when you're trying to be have it be about a specific topic you know you can only fit so much and I was like maybe I should create a subscription service where I can release these things and yeah. I tried to do it myself I tried to figure out how to do it myself uh, but I'm not super tech savvy I've gotten better in recent years but at the time I knew nothing and so I tried to do it myself and set up a website where I could like post a song and people could send me a few bucks if they were interested or something. And then somebody said, hey, it sounds like what you're doing is what Patreon, you should just use that. Yeah. And so I did that. I was like, oh yeah, this is perfect. They take care of all the technical details and you know I don't have to worry about it. And I can just post a song, which is nice. But it, the, the downfall of it being related to Patreon is now I... Now there's this company associated with it, which I'm not crazy about. You know, I like like they, they've not been been nothing but good to me. You yeah. know, like I, I have no bad experiences with them as a company, but I don't want to be associated with any company that's not like a friend's company or anything like that. Yeah. Um, but I mean, they've been a game changer for me. I mean, it's been a way to help pay bills when I haven't had income. Like yeah. I told you, I'm a, I'm a teacher. I'm a GED teacher at the community college. I don't make a ton of money, and so like. Every time that a semester ends, um, That's it, yeah. a, a few weeks between until the next session, I don't have any money coming in. And so it's been uh, just an absolute blessing um, to have just a little bit extra cash on, yeah. on hand to, to pay the electrical bill. So, yeah, I've been really grateful for the song Louis Club. It's just been nothing but amazing for me. Yeah. And, you know, when I, I did a tour last summer, um, and I met a lot of the people that are a part of the Song of the Week Club, and just everybody who's a part of it is just so amazing. It's just such interesting people. I feel like I feel like it's my people, and yeah. they're so like they're so it's so seldom in life that you meet people that are your people that are like part of your team, and yeah. you don't you don't feel like you know you can have friends that are on your team that are like your people, but there's also this almost ethereal ambiguous uh like you know someone who's on your team when you meet them you're like you're yeah my, you're my kind of people yeah. who i've met <laughs> through the song of the week club those are my kind of people and i feel like if i would have met them in any other situation they would have been my friend also and it's just been like a, an excuse to have have met some cool people um the, yeah, kind of people, on the same page with me um the first couple of people i got to interview for the show were like that um Austin yeah. Dunn, Sam Nee. These are people, Austin I was friends with before, but like, these mm -hmm. are people who are like, yeah, you're one, of, we're the same tribe. You're one of my people. I get, I understand yeah. what you're saying before you say it. Um, yeah. And it's been really, it's it's always great to meet someone like that because if you if you see them once a year, once a day or once every 10 years, they, their relationship is still there. And that's the important part. Yeah. That's the one of the positives of the internet is we're able to develop these communities that don't require daily contact the daily physical contact yeah which has become so important in the age of the coronavirus you know oh, yeah um, i started playing games again i haven't i wasn't a i was an avid video gamer when i was yeah. in high school and then i stopped being one just because of time and yeah. then when this happened i was getting texts from people that were like hey i mean we're all home anyways yeah let's do it yeah, yeah I've, I've been playing settlers of Catan with my friends online uh, nice. the board the board game you know that when i would see my friends that would come through town they got kids now and they would put the kids to bed and we'd play a board game or something and and it was always such a treat to be able to do that with them in person but it was so seldom and now yeah. 
we're like, hey, what are you guys doing? Are the kids asleep? Let's play some board games, <laughs> you know? And like, you can do that now, which is great. Yeah. So, yeah, that's been a positive development of, of the internet. And uh, I think that the pandemic has, uh, has highlighted some of those things, some of the positives of the internet. I mean, yeah. can you imagine be it going through the Spanish influenza or anything pre-internet? This would be a very isolating experience. And it still is a very isolating yeah. experience, but it's... It's helped very much to yeah. have the internet. Yeah, it's it's helped me do my show, which is the yeah. one thing that I can do right now. So it's very good to have the yeah. internet right now. Um, but we're coming up on an hour and ten minutes. I think this is a good place to uh, call it short. But um, there's two questions I ask everyone before we go. Which okay. The first one is, if you could go back in time to when you first started making music, uh, what would you tell yourself? Uh-huh. are more ways to make a song than you think because I could go back in time and I could tell the question was if I could ask my or if I could tell myself something related to songwriting it would probably be that um, there's more than one way to make a song there's 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 multiple ways to make a song yeah I mean they're limitless Um, and when I first started working on songs I had a guitar and I was like, what you do is you make chords and you make a chord progression and you build yeah. a song around that. And that was that was it, right? So I was very limited and I, I still use the chord progression, you know, that's a, I mean, it's a it classic, works, yeah. right? There's, there's, a, there's a reason that everyone uses it, but it's not the only way to do things. And, and so I'd probably challenge myself to maybe think outside the box a little bit. I would also tell myself to listen to some music that some some genres of music that you can currently listen to, you know, um, Elise is a classical musician. She's a cellist, and she has opened me up to the world of classical music. And I, my mind has just been blown yeah. um, with that stuff. I wish I had gotten into that, that world earlier. I feel like it really would have positively influenced how I write a song if I had gotten into that world a little bit earlier. My background is you know, pop music, the stuff that I heard on the radio yeah. or the stuff that I consumed. And, you know, I, I consider punk a type of pop music and rap is a type of pop music. Any, any popular music is, yeah. you know, it all pretty much works the same way. It's got, you know, generally a three-minute song and it's got a hook and it's got uh, verses and that's, that's the song. And, you know, classical music does not have those boundaries. They do have their own boundaries that they need to sometimes branch out of, but, like, you know, I I probably would challenge myself to listen to some other types of music. Yeah. And the, that's probably what I would do. I, I like that a lot, yeah, especially because a lot of people, you know, when they first start doing something, they're usually only listening to like one or two genres. Um, yeah, it takes it take it took me a long time to start branching out and exploring what other venues had to offer. Um, and yeah. this, so the second question is: There's a lot of people on my sh- that listen to my show who are making their own things uh, that are DIY uh, and a lot of us are starting out what advice would you give to them you mean in terms of songwriters or just creators um, of any kind creators or? in general um, well uh, I think this advice is true for pretty much everything and it doesn't matter what you're making and that's make a lot of stuff and finish it uh, because you don't get better at something unless you do a lot of it. And there's an old saying about songwriting that you have to write a thousand songs before you write a good one. And 
I don't know that that's necessarily true. You can sometimes stumble upon a great song on accident, like three songs in, right? But for the most part, you have to you have to do a lot of something to get good at it. And so I think that's true, probably with podcasting, with songwriting, with writing, prose, with uh, you know whatever the creative project is. And the problem that a lot of us have is worrying that it's not good enough and so we never finish it, right? A lot of people will work on something forever and they'll never finish it because it's like, I wish it could be better. So my advice is finish it and then move on to the next thing um, so that you can have that one under your belt because you don't have to share it with anyone. Just because you finished it doesn't mean you have to share it with the world. But the act of finishing it is... um, psychologically satisfying and I feel like it helps push you forward and so just finishing stuff even when you don't feel like it's perfect you know finish it admit that it's not perfect move on to the next thing and then a year from now sometimes you can go back to that stuff that you didn't think was perfect and you can take bits and pieces of it and apply it to your new stuff and in some cases rare occasions the stuff from a year ago that you didn't think was any good is actually pretty damn good you know that, that can sometimes happen too seldom but it happens you know so yeah so that'd be my advice just do a lot of it and finish it and just keep on trucking nice um well (laughs) thank you for coming on thank you for giving me an hour of your time uh where can we follow you on the internet yeah this has been fun a great time Oh, on the internet, hairpond.org. That's the spot <laughs> right there. Uh, I got, I, you know, I got all my stuff there. Uh, there's links to other places. Um, I recently got onto the Instagram. Nice. Thanks to my friend Ginny, she showed me how to do it, and uh, so I've been doing that. I think it's called Song at the Song of the Week Club or something on that. Um, you know, got the Song of the Week Patreon uh, and New Anxiety Cat record coming out soon. Right. So. Um. Uh, I guess by the time people hear this, it will be out. So go check it yeah. out. Um, and then hopefully by then, um, people will have good thoughts behind it. You know, we won't have to worry about the uh, backlash and stuff we were talking about before. Um, <laughs> I hope not. Yeah, yeah, I love talking to people. You never know. Yeah, um, yeah so you can follow the show on Twitter at the Little Guys Three. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at jwfreeman_ underscore. Uh, if you're listening to us on a platform that you can rate or like please do I like the attention and uh, share it with your friends cool so again thank you for coming on I've had a great time yeah thanks a lot Josh I've uh, enjoyed our chat as well hopefully we'll get to see each other in person after all whenever this is, this over. is done yeah <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs>